So I want to, uh, you know how sometimes you, you give announcements and there's a few things that you forgot to say, so I want to share a couple things. One of these is one that I've been thinking about for quite a while, but um, they were here last week and I was kind of hoping that they would have given the announcement, and so I left that to them, but I did ask them. So last week, we just prior to our um, potluck, um, we had a wonderful young couple. If you'll remember Aspen and the young, the young man that's been with him, Blaine, um, and we haven't got to see him too much, and he's been kind of finishing some stuff up with uh, the military, but um, they're going to be getting married. Hallelujah. And um, so I'm, I'm not doing the wedding, but I get to go to the wedding, and I'm going to be very privileged to do that. I guess his dad is going to be doing it, and so I cannot imagine what that would be like for a father to be able to do his son's wedding. Um, and so great couple. Life is going to be changing for them. I don't know if we're going to get to see them except for maybe you know here and there, very rarely probably with us because I think life's going to go into Texas at some point. But anyway, I wanted to share that with you guys because I know that you're just as enjoy, just as much rejoicing about that marriage and, and couple. And the more I get to know them and him a little bit more, they look like that they're meant to be together for sure. Interestingly, they were uh, childhood friends and kind of reconnected and evidently reconnected, right? So we're just grateful for that and for them. Um, and also, I want to share this with you because, you know, when we're worshiping, this altar is always open. Yeah, so if you feel the desire to come forward and you're like, I just want during the time of worship to just spend some time at the altar, I want you to hear that from me. This is a, that's a great time to do it. Yeah. Um, spend some time at the altar. You don't have to wait for an altar call to spend time at an altar. Um, I think an altar, in a way, should be a home to us. Yeah. So let's... Uh, I got a communion message for you this morning. Broken for you. Um, I want you to look with in your, in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 29. I'm going to read this verse and then I'm going to pray. Go ahead and turn there. I'll give you time. Always going to welcome your amens, so you want to share an amen? You want a hoot or a holler? Or you know when something tastes good and you go, hmm, that's all right too, okay? So here in this verse, these verses, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Not discerning the Lord's body. Did it, what did I say? I'm sorry. I don't know who typed that, but whoever did. So did I say 1 Corinthians 11 or did I? Okay, so just just do what I tell you to do, okay? Just... Yeah. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. 
do I need to read it over again? I think, yeah. okay, we'll read it over again. <laughs> you guys are like spending the whole time trying to figure out what I'm talking about. Pastor's job just never gets easier, I'm telling you. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Are we good? We got it? Amen. Let me pray. Father, I am so grateful today. Lord, we are looking over one of the most intimate expressions that the Church of Jesus Christ gets to experience. Lord, we want to go beyond just the the idea of this is not just the sacrament, but the ritual of taking of the juice and, and the bread as a representation of the body and blood of Jesus. We want to get past the ritual, Lord, and we want to get into what is the fundamental reality of what it's all about. Lord, we've been there. We've tasted it, so many of us. And God, even at that, Lord, we will never ask you to quit reminding us of the virtue and the wonder and the beauty of it all. We want to remember and rehearse this continually, God. Remembrance is a rehearsal of something that's really, really important to us. Jesus, what you did for us, Lord, no other experience on earth, no other piece of life will ever compare. And we want to renew that today, Lord. We want to renew, and God, pray that you would renew that in our hearts so that we can be firmly fixed, Lord, in this. Jesus, if we can be grounded in the sacrifice that you made in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, in everything that happens in our life, we are whole. We are healed. We have perfect wholeness in every way, Lord. Nothing else needs to be complete but just that alone. And Lord, sometimes we're struggling to grasp it, Lord, in its reality. And I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd renew that for everyone in this place. Anybody gets to hear this message, Lord, would know that and receive that in it. And I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's been a word since last week. You know, I I shared with freedom. It's funny how last week's message became uh, the week's struggle for me. See, I think that when we share the Word of God, I think the Word of God should feel like it follows us through the weeks and months of our life. And it did for me. I, I realize that freedom is, is not an easily def, uh, something you define easily through when you have different scenarios that pop up. But I, I saw my need for it. For me, I'm going to say, when I, I preached something that was for the pastor here, I know it was for you too, but it meant something to me. And I am grateful, and I was thinking about that. Lord, would you please today make what I share and what you give to us something that we feed on throughout the week. I don't want it to be forgotten after today. I don't want it to be lost because it's custom. And we're going to have another word on Sunday. I would almost like it to be said, Sunday coming, I'm not sure I'm going to be ready for it because I haven't finished with last Sunday. 
And I want to pray that the Word of God becomes so precious to us that it feels like that. And I, I want to pray that however I expound it, it'll be that for you. But So freedom was for last week. This week, I, almost immediately and Monday, if not sooner than that, discernment was in my spirit. I was thinking about discernment throughout the week. and So this word came to me. And I wasn't thinking of it in necessarily in this context, but I think it fits this context. Discerning is huge. I had a call from somebody this week who was sharing with me a scenario or a situation that was taking place in their life. They were helping somebody, trying to manage their finances and writing checks for them. And in the end, the person wasn't taking them to go pay their bills. And it just kept becoming this routine frustration. And I was listening, trying to discern what this was all about. And I finally came to this place and this conclusion for me when I shared this with the person. It's like, I, I hear your frustration. I don't know that I need any more, ultimately, any more information. Kind of like feed me every piece of the struggle so that I'd be thoroughly informed. But I'm like, after about five minutes or less, I'm pretty much informed on, I think, what's going on here. And I had shared this with them. I said, I think the importance here is to pay attention and discern what the difficulty really is. I said, with the little that you shared with me, the fact that this person won't go pay their own bill when they only have to walk a block from where they're at tells me something. And I said, I wouldn't be surprised if you asked the question, how do you look at yourself that you're going to hear an answer that tells you this person is deeply depressed? That you need to discern that this is not just laziness out of, out of, what, out of the conversation she had asked the man why? Why don't you do this? And he said, I guess it's because I'm lazy. Well, if that were ultimately true, it would lose our compassion. But I think that it's because he's depressed. I think that he's overwhelmed in life and struggling with it, and he needs to address that issue. And I think that she needs to think in that area. But that was my thought. But discernment is huge. Because the problem is, if we don't rightly discern the situation, the doctors probably have it more than anybody else, Right? If we make the wrong diagnosis, you get the wrong medicine, and there's problems that occur as a result of that. So the right diagnosis, discerning well, is really a very, very important part of our faith. And interestingly here, I highlighted this text, they're not discerning the Lord's body. So let me talk a little to you about discernment, because I think that this is key to the whole thing. Discernment is not based on a common belief, quote-unquote. That is how I see it. Now, that's the difficulty, is because we've got to get past the how you see it and make sure that you see it rightly, right? Discerning is not based on preference, opinion, or perception. That is why only a few people generally are actually discerning. Because most of our discernment really is, this is how I prefer it, this is how I feel about it. And it's about our subjectivity and viewing through that. So we become the filter for everything that's supposed to be true. Well, if you filter through your emotions, through your feelings and ideas, before long, you don't go through the truth. You redefine truth. So discernment is all about not having, it's not about not having these things. It's about making sure that they follow in line with and not determine it. 
So I'm not determining what's true based upon how I feel or my experience in life. My, my feelings are going to have to come in conformity to what is. That's why discernment is so difficult for us is because it's so hard to get to past the me factor when it comes to being able to finally figure out what's wrong with society, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with politics, what's wrong with the church, if we want to get that far. Wherever we go, we always have this what's right with it, what's wrong with it, and we have the me factor, this difficulty. Discernment is when self does not impose a bias or a prejudice in any way toward our judgment on what is true. We are able to perceive things as raw and real without distortion or perversion. While it is true that we make judgments and carry out all of our decisions all at the time, rarely are they without a form of prejudice. And what do I mean by that? I mean simply this. A view that we hold to for our own reasons. So I don't mean prejudice like we would when we're talking about different races of people or ethnicity in that way, but it kind of fits the category if you think about it. But the idea is is that I come with certain prejudices or views in line. Now, for instance, if you grew up in a home where there was abuse, there's certain things that you have probably a bias about. And one of them probably is the idea of correction. Because in your field of experience, that correction was really abuse. And yet, Jesus talks about, in a portion of Scripture, talks about chastisement or correction. And that's hard for some people in that atmosphere to be able to hear it without thinking of the background. I'm just giving you a reference point to think about because it's really important. So for them, discerning when it's correction and discerning when it's abuse almost become so obscure that they don't know how to decipher one from the other. Society has left us in the way that we've had to live, the way we've grown up, and every other way to be left with so many things. And the older we get, probably the worse it is. And you hear it, that they're stuck in their own ways. We're not usually saying that of a young person or a teenager or something like that. We're usually saying it of an old man or an old woman who said, you know what, I've lived life, I've done what I've done, I am where I am, and I'm done trying to make things better or make it worse. This is where I'm at. And so we leave a little room for them because we realize then there really doesn't need a whole lot more to change in your life probably at this time. If you haven't made the changes now, you're probably not going to. That's the sad reality. Some of them are fundamental changes, some are eternal changes, and some it doesn't really matter one way or another when it's all done. Let's look at a scripture here in Matthew, talking about discernment here. Matthew 16, 15 through 17. Matthew 16, 15 through 17. Okay, I'm ready for your amens anytime you want to throw them out there. He said to them, are you guys ready? No, I still have some pages turning. Slow down, preacher. <laughs> Matthew 16, 15 through 17. I hope I give you the right, the right scripture here. I guess we'll find out. I can't do this two times in a row. He said to them, 
but who do you say that I am? Does that sound right to you guys? Okay, good. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to Jesus' answer. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. One of the points I just want to make there very clearly is this is a distinction in discernment. I'm gathering and getting information that's deposited by God and it becomes integral as a part of my life. So Jesus is saying, Simon, what you just said was nothing that any man taught you. It's not something that you got from um, your own studies. It's something that the Father has revealed to you. You're close enough to God or somewhere within the proximity that the Father has made known to you something. And you're now seeing that. So this can't be carried out based on just, does Simon like this revelation? It doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you how he feels about it or anything. It's just that he has it. And that's important. So here's something I want to say that gets in the way of discernment. When we talk about discerning interests, what are your interests? Whatever we, in the end, deem to be to our own benefit or well-being. That's really all of our interests kind of fall into that ground somewhere, right? It's either for my benefit or my well-being. And you're like, well, what about people who do drugs? The benefit behind it was that they could run around freely and freelance and do whatever, and drugs was just a way in. Like, it wasn't the drug, it wasn't the outcome, it wasn't the interest in that particularly, but it was something else that became the introduction to the things that hurt or defile our bodies. So, you know, that's it, it simply it's still the same idea. There's nobody that lives in repugnance or carelessness to their own well-being or happiness to some degree. Now, it's brought them to a place of just self-destruction, and then they're in misery, but misery is probably because they hope for happiness and can't find it. This is often obscured by our pursuit of pleasure and our repugnance to misery. I mean, we hate misery, we want pleasure. And here's another scripture in Luke chapter 18, verses 20 through, to, through 27. If you're writing that down again, Luke, 20, Luke 18, 22 through 27. Hmm. Hmm. Here we have the story of the rich man, and Jesus is just laying things out for him. Here's a man who had what he wanted in life, and it was very difficult for him when Jesus was talking to him about it. This is just so that you guys get a picture of, in Scripture we do see there's this pursuit of pleasure in the heart, and it becomes a difficulty because the interests of our hearts are wrapped around it. When Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, and he said, how hard... It is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So when Jesus heard these things, He said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. To divorce us from our earthly and selfish interests and buy into the kingdom of God with everything within us is really what Jesus is getting at. There's these partial committed believers and there's non-committed people and there's wholehearted committed people. And Jesus is like narrowing it down. Faith in me is a wholehearted commitment. And so when you're going to discern things, and listen to me very carefully, I think of this word discernment, and I'm thinking for myself, one of the reasons why I think you and me struggle to discern what is in God's reality and what God wants for us is because we have interests of which we will not yield ourselves wholly to God because of. See, when you give yourself partially to the Lord, you can't discern the whole path of God for your life. And so here we have this display of a rich man who really, if he were to see what God had for him. Now think about this. I think in the end of the story, if he could see it to the end, he would gladly, he would have sold his riches, leaping, rejoicing, and singing and giving up all of his possessions because he knew what he was gaining. But that was hidden from his understanding, and he wasn't discerning what was really in this. And for all of that, here he was losing out and missing. Interesting, I want you to remember again, Jesus said that when they take of that communion, they're not discerning the Lord's body. So there's an aversion to discomfort. There's an attraction to likeness. If you're like me, it's easier for me to get to be friends with you. If you're not like me at all, it's harder. There's a distancing from differences. There's an empathy for sympathy. See, all of these things are things that you are a part of your interest in life. We're not talking about material things. We're talking about things that comfort you emotionally, comfort us and build, give us kind of an inner satisfaction. And so sometimes we're more attracted to this than we are to Jesus. We really are. And even though in many ways that Jesus blesses us in giving us a lot of the things that we want in that way, what you do find is, is that Jesus doesn't make himself second to it. He just doesn't. Discerning. So I want to. I, I was thinking about this. I was like, so how do I how do I put in words a way to give an, another I thought to it? And I thought of this as similar to troubleshooting. How many of you have had an experience in any kind of an occupation where you had to troubleshoot? Okay, we've got a few people out there, so I'm talking to the I'm an audience, and I'm going to share with you some of the things from my experience of troubleshooting. Mine was sprinkler systems. Yours was probably something else. I actually had a call uh, this week. I told you last week that I was working on somebody else's sprinkler system, and this week I got another one. And um, the call was this. I, when we turn on the sprinkler system without the controller on or anything else, I got this zone that comes on and stays on. And I'm like, oh, I know what that is. 
Now, a lot of people would say, I have no clue what in the world it is. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I just wanted to share that and then come back to it. So here's some rules for discerning. This is just in, in that kind of field. But I think that it applies to spiritual things as well. Assumptions have to be proved. Man, if you could get people past their assumptions. I mean, we base so much on our assumptions. Would you just go and prove it? I tell you what, if your mechanic just let the assumptions ride, you would be paying for more than the value of the car by the time. You could have bought it brand new and you'll be paying for it more than its value the time it was brand new when it's all said and done. You don't need somebody that's in a professional level treating you or what you own based on assumption. So we know that's just a rule for troubleshooting for discerning. If I think it's something, I have to test in order to find out if, in all probability, it is. Not all tests are conclusive. Not every test tells me for sure. And so, But these tests will help lead me to the path of hopefully discovering what it is or narrowing it down. Experience should lead you to a better investigation. So the more experienced you are in this area or this field, it should that experience should lead you to be better at investigating and determining and troubleshooting the problem. Whether that's testing, that's going by, I remember and I've experienced these problems in the past. I'm familiar with certain problems that reoccur. It's more likely to be this than that. That's what I mean. Experience is that. So in, in when it comes to our Christian faith, that's just as important. Because your experience with God, will inform you in how to move forward. Here's another one. A hunch will give you a direction to go. So I'm glad to have a hunch. But it is uncertain as to where it will lead. Right? Determining what is right will help you find what isn't. Determining what is right. So this is the thing. I might be working on something, and I know this is working right, and I know this is working right. That will help me know where to go that's not right. Knowing what's right is just as essential as knowing what's wrong. Sometimes I feel like people complain so much that they have no idea what is actually true and what's right. Some people do. Apparent problems lead you away from real problems. Immediate, the immediate problem, listen to this, could really be a symptom for a larger one. Um, and this requires deeper investigation. So I remember one time I was in, in um, um, Legrand, and I was looking at a sprinkler system that it had a break in there. And I remember looking at multiple times where it looked like it had been repaired previous before I got there. Do you know where I'm going with that? This has happened before. And what happened was they fixed the problem that was apparent. But what I started doing from that experience was started asking, what's the history? What's the history? This thing has happened more times, so what's causing this problem to reoccur? Because I don't want to just fix this and come back to it, especially after you've spent three or four hours digging the hole to get to it, right? So the history is huge, and so sometimes the apparent problem is just a reality that there's something bigger, something greater. 
Experience is often a component to discovery. So I want to use this word experience, and I want you to think about that, because experience is a huge piece to discerning. Experience is a lifetime. Listen to me. Experience is a lifetime of discipline and commitment that has led to a rich history of discovery. That's what experience is. You have spent so much time in life. I'm rewarded and blessed by having John and Sandy here. I'm rewarded by some of you in different circles in life. Your experience in life and your experience with God has been paramount to some of the things that I've needed in life. Being able to have me share my complaints in early stages in life and have somebody that has wisdom and experience say, I've either gone through that or I have counseled a number of people through that. And let me share with you something. And by the time they're done, you're like, my problem is solved. My problem is solved. I know exactly what to do because you knew something. See, what 14 years in one occupation taught me is, is that every day and every year and every problem adds to the experience and the richness of what I know. Of what I know. And so many people run from job to job, from place to place, and they never equip themselves. From church to church. From ministry to ministry. And they go from place to place, and they never get a rich history of discovery because they never worked through their issues. They ran from them. I ran from them. Every person I can tell you, whether they're an enemy or a friend, I love the way Jesus said, love your enemies. What a stark contrast to what looks like human reality. And I want one day, I want to bring out a message, and I want to call it this, the good of my enemy. The good of my enemy. Because they provoke me either one of two ways. I either get to the place I get irritated and I get evil, or I become better. Because I see that nothing in you is so bad that it has to have a right of an authority in my life. I don't have to operate off of your principles. I don't have to live the way you do. I don't have to look at the world negatively and pessimistically in the same way that you do. I don't have to have whatever, you know, like I remember when our kids were young, they were like, oh yeah, just wait till the day comes. As if they were trying to destroy every lasting hope that I had before I even got started. And I'm like, you know what, that was your problem. That doesn't mean it's going to be mine. Maybe it will, but I'll have my own experience with it, right? And so I believe that experience is so important. It's not, now this is the other piece, it's not a self-discerning. It's just a help along the way. It's just a help along the way. I'm so experienced that I don't need to, I don't need to gather the facts. Nuh-uh, not true. So not discerning means, I was just thinking about what Jesus what says there in the Word, they're not discerning the Lord's body. So not discerning means either you were not able to conclusively isolate the problem. So here's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4. through 4. So go ahead and, and uh, go to the, turn to that scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4. through 4. Good thing I don't have an overhead on that one. I don't know what I would have done. So not discerning means one of two things here. Either you were not able to conclusively isolate the problem, 
But even if our gospel is veiled, is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. They, it's veiled. They can't see it. That's what we're saying. We can't isolate the problem. Maybe we never tried, but the idea is, is that we just don't get it. And, you know, the devil likes to prey on people who don't care about their Bibles. The devil likes to prey on people who allow for assumptions and the way I feel about things to be their final marker for decisions and judgments. Because that's, he, those are the ones he can blind. But he can't blind the person who's directly looking for truth, even if it means fighting against my own emotions in order to get there. Now, here's the other one. So, either you didn't come and isolate the problem, or you discovered the problem, you figured it out, but you did not make the necessary corrections. You're like, I'm not sure if that's discerning, really. You know, when you're like, discerning is figuring it out, right? In a part. But I think there's something very obscure when somebody figures out the problem and leaves it. Imagine me having a water leak in my house that was starting to flood my basement and work its way up. And I figured out where the problem was, and I just left it sit. Something's very, very out of touch there. But listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like to a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So literally from a biblical point of view, discerning is in the action. If you haven't discerned it to the point of making it a part of life, then you haven't fully discerned it yet. You haven't fully captured it. So here we see it's like a man who sees himself in a glass. He sees it, and then he walks away and forgets. That's a lack of discernment. If, if I were to say in any way, it's like he hasn't quite really troubleshooted the problem. The troubleshooting of the problem is it exists back with him. So the one is ignorance. The other one is negligence. Negligence. Here's a few scriptures for that. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6. That's weird. I think I'm missing something there. I am missing something. Let me look. Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 6. Through six. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him 
to an open shame. I'm sure I know where I was going with that. Huh. Actually, I do have a little bit before I get to that, so I'll come back to that one. Change in occupation. So, so we're talking about this. I, I, so not discerning means those two things that I just shared with you. And now, one of the things that I notice is this, is that the, the focus is where I'm at right in the moment. And so I just wanted to use the illustration of a change in occupation, just because I happen to be talking to you about troubleshooting. And change in occupation means that I'm leaving this occupation, I'm leaving this job, and I am going to do another one. Moment you leave that job, you leave everything that has to do with that job behind. It no longer, in a sense, exists as a part of your life. And this is what I believe is a loss or a lack of familiarity, in a sense. So I'm no longer familiar with where I was. I don't entertain that anymore. I don't give preference to it anymore. So when I became the pastor here, there's still very, there's still a little bit of pieces to the old job that I'm still entertaining, but for the most part, it's gone. The history of it is no longer mine. It's not a part of my present or my future in a sense. So this is in one sense what is meant by not discerning the Lord's body. The more I thought about it, I thought about this. I think when we read in the verse that they're not discerning the Lord's body, that they left an occupation. There is no longer a familiarity with God in such a way that now what happens in life as a result of no longer being close to Him, no longer being near to Him. Maybe I should say this because I think this is really the point for churches and Christians to reflect on is not that you don't have some experience in it. It's that you're not becoming deeply involved in it anymore. I want to give you now a few of the verses that are connected to this. Not discerning the Lord's body means I've lost familiarity with Him. Familiarity can mean one of two things for us. Familiarity could mean that I get so used to and comfortable that I've lost the sensitivity and interest for. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the familiarity of my life with my wife becomes more and more flourishing because I get to know her better on a daily uh, level. I get to know her more. And the more I know her, the more I know of her. So I become more sensitive to her, not less sensitive. When we're reading here in 1 Corinthians about that they eat and drink unworthily, and they drink judgment to themselves. It's not literally because they didn't drink or eat the element the right way. It was that something deeper than, oh, a present sin in your life is just the problem. It's There's a level of commitment and union to Jesus that's breaking down. And one of the things that I've noticed, and this has been my own life, and the reason I share this is one of the breakdowns in our life is that we come to church and we learn the formalities and we get used to the formality, but there's nothing deeper than the formality. Or it's not much deeper than the formality. 
So sometimes our devotional life once was this very unique and very precious time with God that the Lord had a way of breaking me down and the Lord break, building me up. The Holy Spirit could break me down and the Holy Spirit could build me up. And there was this transfer inside my soul because of this union and relationship with God. And over time, it melted into a form. And we still read. We still do the outward devotion, but the inward reflection in life is slowly but surely dying off. And we are just kind of this leftover race, so to speak. And we have just enough knowledge to judge everybody outside of it, but we don't have enough intimacy inside of it to be much more than just kind of a shell, as it were. So here I want to read this verse to you, the one I was just reading in Hebrews chapter 6, 4 through 6, describing what we can become. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Now what I don't think this scripture means, but study it yourself, I don't think it means the moment a Christian sins, that's it. I think it's this repetitiveness in time diminishing to the point of becoming a product of life. But there's a point in which what you see is they tasted the heavenly gift. They were close to God and they let that diminish and let go of it over time. And by letting go of that, what we see is there's this place that to renew them again to repentance, the Bible just said it becomes impossible. Now I don't know of any other way to say it, but it's simply this. When you have been well-versed and experienced with God on a deep, deep level, and you let go of that, whatever has been the time or progression of it, at some point, the fact that you had to go through this progression to let go of it has really become something that almost in you has become impossible to surrender and yield back to God, to renew them back to repentance. Nevertheless, I have this against you. So Roman, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 2, 4 through 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See, when I come back to the communion table, I'm trying to give some sobriety to this. I know this doesn't feel uplifting, necessarily encouraging, and that's not my goal. My goal is not to do that because I feel like in this, when we step and approach these, I'm praying and I'm trying to back that prayer. I'm praying that we step with a new sense of its sacredness. We understand the value of what we're doing here. 
What I'm also realizing is this. There's a good number of people. It's not your zeal. It's not your passion to pray. It's not your love to read the Bible. Although those seem to come and play with it. But there's something missing. We are doing a spiritual troubleshoot over our own personal lives. I could ask in, in this audience and probably a thousands elsewhere, and I could say, how many of you feel like you've arrived to perfection? Do I have any hands? So there's an admission that something's not there yet. I'm not there yet. And a lot of us are waiting till we've stepped on the other side of eternity. But here's my experience. One of the things I found humorous in, in our meetings, and I've, uh, Amy's not here in the moment, but it's, it's just that she's been great at addressing this in some of the meetings that we've had. And she's made this statement a few times. Let's put it on the calendar. Let's put it on the calendar. There was about a year ago, I didn't even have such a thing. It didn't really exist with me. I was like, I know how to set up appointments. I just set up my appointments, go to them, and dun 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 dun. I didn't really have a calendar. But what I found interesting was this, is that in the integration of our marriage, my marriage, their marriage, and probably many of yours, one of the, the things that I kept running into with guys was this. That their wives were saying to them, I told you. I told you. We talked about it. You know? And the guys, a lot of them have replied back to me, it's not that they are frustrated with their wife for saying it. They're frustrated with himself because something isn't helping them connect with their wife, whether they said it or not. Now, the reason I'm saying that is one of the things I noticed was this. When it came to the calendar, we could talk for hours, but it still hadn't been set a date or a time. We hadn't made the plans yet. We had just talked about it in our meetings and different things. And I started to realize over time, it becomes increasingly difficult to make sure that we've nailed down when it's going to happen or what's going to be the plan to go about this. So one of the things I realized is most of us have the emotional response toward God, whether it's at the altar or not. We have the emotional response of this is how I want to respond. This is what I want to change. This is what I want to see different. And this is what I keep settling for. This is exactly where I keep coming back to. It's the same habits. It's the same anger. It's the same problems over and over and over again. And all we're doing is this. We're re-announcing the truth of the Gospel and we're still staying in bondage and not knowing its power. Because when it comes down to it, what Jesus was trying to do is He says, let's get it on the calendar. Let's make the change. Let's reset your life. Let's not just talk about it and leave it there. Let's not blindly keep doing this thing. And the church, in many ways, is decided that we're going to keep falling in the same areas. And that's grace. No, it's not. It's permissive living. We are not letting Jesus in our life. And it is this, this, this thing that gets in the way. Now listen to me, please. And I'm just trying to be as real as I can in the moment. And I'm trying to be careful at the same time. Right? I just want to say that there's this, this element that comes into life of a person. 
and you reinforce the same bondage over and over again, and you can announce that the Gospel is the power of God, and to them it is not at all the power of God. Not at all. All you did was give me a comforting birthday card as far as that was concerned. Just a love message that didn't penetrate into my life. And so this is why people are not discerning the Lord's body. Because in effect, we have learned how to make the Gospel a good just graduation card for us. I'm just glad that you're at this point in life. And it's this element that we just want comfort. Just comfort me. And, And none of us are really happy in that kind of comfort because it leaves us immature and still partial and unfinished and undone. And so what in many ways, what we really want God to do in our life, whether we're saying it or not, is Jesus, would you send, stop sending me love messages right now and just send me your rebuke. God, would you give me some correction in my life because I need it right now. I'm absolutely miserable because of the sustaining problem in me. And I've troubleshooted the problem. I know what's wrong. But I don't know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit again penetrate me so deep that I can't be the man that I was yesterday. I just spent some time alone with God and that time has re-evaluated everything in life. There's a peace to spending time in the presence of God that wrecks you before it makes you. And i got to have to say that over and over again because so many of us are struggling with that. At different points in our life, we are. So he says, you've left your first love. What was your first love all about? I remember my first love was, sometimes it was simple, but I remember it was like, man, can I hurry up and get done with school so I can go spend time with the Lord again? I didn't really care what the outcome of that time was. I just wanted time with Him. You know, something I did in my job, I'm going to share with you one of my own faults, one of the things that happened in my own job was I found myself doing the job and being occupied with making sure that I wasn't taking and using the company time to to share the gospel. Because to me, I think one of my, my, if I were to put it in words, I would say that the integrity of not stealing company time or robbing my boss was more important than sharing the gospel. So I'd find myself running from job to job, from person to person, those kinds of things. And I found myself pretty much thinking, I probably should, but I'm not. And then this is the thing. I lost the sensitivity to when somebody really did need it. It's just that simple. Not everybody needs me to go knocking on their door and sharing with them Jesus necessarily because their ground, the ground of their heart isn't ready for it. But what I also realized is I was never prepared for those who did have fallowed ground. just wasn't there. So what happens when you quit an occupation? You have a new objective for life. When Jesus isn't the very center of it, He's not the focus, you have a new objective for life. 
Your provision and well-being is entrusted to someone else. Your identity changes. Your vision and interest in that occupation are replaced by what is the new one. This is the thing. What we didn't realize is by neglecting our time with God, we automatically assumed a new position. It's already happening. So that's the problem. Is are you in another occupation? Are we in church, but at heart we're actually in a different occupation? Is our heart somewhere else? So to go back to our scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, communion, well, I guess we'll go back to Revelation. Communion is all about returning to your first love. Returning to your first love. And then back to our scripture, he says, if a man examines himself, so let him eat and drink. It's interesting. It didn't tell you to make the changes. It said examine. I had, I had a medical examination because I, I had some need for my foot recently, you know. And so things come out in the examination. And I think the idea is when a man examines himself, the intent is to look at it carefully and make it real. So it says, let a man examine himself and so let him eat and drink of that cup. I think the examination is with the intention to make it right. You know, you're not just doing it for play, you're doing it for real. That's what he's saying. So what we're examining is, what are the lesser priorities that have preference over the bigger ones? Come on, folks. We can do this in our life, right? We can start thinking about, what is it that I keep doing over and over again? They're not big priorities. I want to tell you, our jobs are not the big priorities. But they are what become the massive part of our life. Our jobs become... A huge part. It's not the time. It's that when we really get down to it, very few things have a bigger part of our life than the time of our job. But what we need to redo is this. Listen to me, please. We need to look at our jobs one more time and say, is this job that I am in, is, am I living for the Lord in my job? Or am I doing what a lot of others have? And I, I, tell, I told you this because I want you to realize all of us are capable of doing it. But what really the mentality I think is, I, for, for some, is this. And a lot of Christians are struggling to get down to here. This is getting it set on the calendar. But they're not reading their Bibles any time of the day. And they're not praying any time of the day. And weeks go on end after end. And there's nothing in their life that's really even of that nature. So then I go from there and I say, okay, so but there's a few others who have stepped beyond that realm and they have a devotional time or time in the morning. And that's great. Or time in the evening. But then what happens is that was God's time. That was God's time. Then I go to work, the time card has been punched in. Maybe later on in the evening, God has some other time. But this is not God's time. Now, I don't think you intended to do it. 
I don't think it was intentional or driven. But what I'm trying to say here is this, is that there is a part of us that has to get back to all of my life is a devotion to Jesus. Or it really isn't at all. It's either fully devoted or it's not at all. And our culture is pulling us, sucking us into the kind of life I'm telling you about. And I've been in it, and that's why I have, I have compassion when it comes to this area because I know the struggle. I know how hard it can be. to like I, just, I feel like I'm locked in 24-7. There's so many demands. My phone is going off like crazy. i got to do this. I don't, get a, I don't get time. The demand is so heavy that I don't get an opportunity to think about God because all of my thoughts have to be absorbed here. And I don't know what to tell you. I stand here at this point and I say, I struggle, I, I struggle to know what the answer is for the person who goes through that. Because I understand as you invest yourself more and more, you're going to have more conversations. Somebody else is going to leave and you're going to take their responsibilities with you. But what I want to say is in this culture, and the culture that's demanding our life and soaking everything out of us, we have got to find a way to connect with God. We have got to find a way. Or are we going to die a church that isn't, it isn't dead, it's just half alive. We, we got all these problems and we're limping along. And Jesus said, that's why the scriptures like stand out to me. Jesus said these words, You are more than conquerors through Him who loved you. You don't just go on the battlefield and walk off in victory, limping. You go off the battlefield rejoicing. There isn't anything. They haven't sliced you. They haven't cut you. You haven't got a scar. You haven't got a wound. You're more than a conqueror. You're not bound to that television set. You're not bound by Facebook. You're not lost in the ways of the world. Now why am I crying? Because it's the passion of my heart. The passion of my heart is that I believe Christians are exchanging a precious time. You can't go back and buy time. You can't go back and get it again. You've lost it. The last five seconds that I've just used up, it's gone. I don't go get it again. And what you do with that time is precious. Does that mean every ounce of that time is spent on your knees or in your Bible? No. But every ounce of that time, every ounce of that time, in some degree, is supposed to be devoted to God. It's supposed to be His. And the humanity has found its way, culture has found its way, is to robbing us of that sense and that urgency and that sobriety of every ounce of my time belongs to the one who gave me life and breath. And all I'm doing, church, all I'm doing is saying, let us together, as we face this together, as many of us have failed together, please, as a church, let us now awake together. Just awake together. Wherever we may be missing the mark, let us awake together. Passion follows pursuit. Passion follows pursuit. If I'm pursuing it, I'm going to get passionate about it. I can't help it. Some people drive you nuts because they're so passionate, like they won't shut up about it, you know, like your preacher this morning. Anyway, the idea is that they're so passionate about it that they can't quit. They restructure their life to fit their priorities. Sometimes 
Christians are going to quit their job. I'm going to go find a different job because God called me to do something else. God called me to be closer to Him in this job. I'm not going to do it. I know I'm not, right? Get involved in the lives of those who are devoted and godly, God-loving believers. Get in the atmosphere of it. Get around people that are like that. I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it one more time. Some of your favorite TV preachers. I know, I had to go there, didn't I? Some of your favorite TV preachers, one of the problems is they deliver an anointed message, and it's good, and you know it edifies your soul, and let that be. But I'm going to tell you when it comes down to it, the priority is right in your own backyard. Right in our own backyard. And you know what the priority often isn't? It isn't to find the next spiritual man who can preach to me a good message. It's to get into the grime with Jesus where He's in the grime. You know, the hardest thing about ministry, and it is never going to quit being hard, I know that, is you know how many people need, urgently need somebody's care Somebody's love. They need you. To, they need to hear you. The life that you have in the Word of God. They need it from you, not just me. And it's so hard because I know that if you share that interest in ministry, it's not, Pastor, that's not all yours. I feel it too. And I visit people and I talk to people. And, and behind all the visits, you know what struggles, the biggest struggle is? The ones that I don't get to. They're the ones that matter. And they don't feel like they matter. And they don't feel like they're important in the ministry. And all we're really doing is crying out to the people of God, be the hands of Jesus everywhere you go. Be the extension of the pastor in the ministry wherever you go. And if you're already doing that, then keep doing it, please. And don't let one go there. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, if sinners must be lost and go to hell, let not one go there unwarned or unprayed for. And let them have to leap over our bodies in order to get there. Isn't that a beautiful quote? That's the reality. And is that your urgency today? Did you walk into this place feeling that urgency? Because I didn't necessarily, but I am now. I'm feeling there's a sense of urgency for a lost soul. I'm sensing an urgency for my brother and my sister. I'm sensing an urgency for our church and the people that come here. People that aren't here and the people who are. I sense a, a love, a deeper love. It just wants to, I want, Lord, would you please just take me on a deeper level of love for the people of God? You know what I love? One of the things I love the most, you'll find this with me. One of the things I like to do is go to your house and you give me something to work on. I just want to serve you. I want to be there in your field. I hate being in this limited body because I realize I can only work with one person at a time, and it's very limited, but I like to do it. You know why I like to do it? Because I feel like one of the biggest things is, is that I want to learn how to love. I want to learn how to love well, and I want to learn that love is more than just the words that I say. I want it to be found in the actions that I commit to. And I want one other thing. I want you guys to look at me, and I want you to say something. I see in my pastor the example of the man that I want to be like. I want to be like that man. I want to have his humility. I want to have his willingness to serve. I want to, I want to get down and, and be dirty just like he is. And if I'm not doing it, I know that I'm not an example. And that's part of the desire it is. I want to inspire you. Because you inspire me. Because you inspire me. A message like today 
is just as real. And I look back on you and I think, I am grateful for the message that you've given me. The times that when we were sick, there were people dropping things off of at our door to be there for us. I'm grateful for the person who's there when I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm in my office, and I'm like, I don't want to preach today. I don't want to preach. I'm going through my own struggle. And they walk in there and they pray with me. They have no clue, but it's become custom. It's become a part of it. You understand, we all go through those difficult moments. And we're like, Lord, I feel like I want to throw in the towel, but I'm not going to. You know I'm not going to. You know I love you, Jesus. But those moments, and man, what you secure in union and relationship with me, there's no other place on earth that it happens in. There isn't a place outside the church where people are that close. Yes, you might have gang members that die for one another, but they won't live for one another. See, this is the difference. We don't need to die for one another. Nobody's putting a gun to our head. Nobody's doing anything to make us feel like. But what we do need to do is live for one another. That's a good word. That's a good word. We're still waiting for the day to come where I just have to give up my life. So That's long and coming, but you can start giving right now. And as we do, I'm strengthened by it. I'm strengthened by the encouragement. Sometimes, folks, you don't know. I'm just there. You know, when you show up, you show up and you don't, you don't have to say anything. The fact you showed up sometimes means more than anything. It does. And we're going to advance along because we're going to do it together and we're not going to do it separately. And we can't do it together. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. But it means something when we can do it together. When I think of this, I want to extend the privilege. I'm wondering if you're thinking of it as that, but I want to extend the privilege to be able to take of the elements this morning. I want you to think again on a deeper level of what is this communion all about. See, the reason I cry out, you'll hear me in prayer, you'll hear me right now, and I'm like, I'm not mad at you guys. Not at all. Nor am I, sometimes I think of this. Now here's another piece because I want to say this. I don't think it's that you're failing. I'm passionate about being successful. And when you are struggling, I want you to hear when he's being passionate, he means let's go together. I mean it. Let's do this together. So I get passionate because I feel like it's real. Darn it, it's so real. And I need that. So sometimes a preacher just needs to let it out. Okay, So if, if you've interpreted it any other way, I pray that you hear me right now. Sometimes I think the biggest successors are the ones I'm looking at. It's not the one you're looking at. It's the one I'm looking at. And I'm so grateful for you. So with that, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask them to come up. And I want you to take, uh, and I'll open up the trays here for you to receive it. There is, there's the, there's the,